Our scripture reading is the second chapter of the Bible, Genesis 2. Genesis 2, the text, which I will not reread, is verses 18 through 23. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had, whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every, every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Delium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon. The same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hittichel. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now come the words of the text. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. 
And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This is the inspired, infallible, sacred scripture. As announced, the text is verses 18 through 23. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the foundations of our society are not only shaking, and they have been shaking for a long time, but they are crumbling. And it is right now in my lifetime and in your lifetime that the very foundation of our society is crumbling. At the turn of the new year, as we moved out of 2022 into 2023, the very popular and widely used dictionary.com announced as its word of the year for 2022, woman because searches for the word woman spiked in 2022. And if you ask why that is, it is in part because there was a nominee for the Supreme Court who was asked publicly to define woman, and that nominee wouldn't do it. And that created all kinds of discussion. But more especially because transgender identity and rights has now surged to the forefront of our national discourse. And that's not a good thing. That's an ominous thing as the very foundations of society are shaking. It's right now in our lifetime that officially through the Supreme Court, society has redefined marriage. And now we are busy redefining man and redefining woman. It is right now in our lifetime that human rebellion and autonomy against God is so strong. It's always been strong, going all the way back to Adam. But it is so strong that man is trying to redefine the most basic concepts and terms of human existence. What is a man? What is a woman? What is a marriage? And it's right now in our lifetime that a biological male can stand up publicly and say, I don't care what my DNA says. I don't care about biology. I don't care about my chromosomes. I don't care what anyone says. I certainly don't care what God says, what the Bible says. I feel like a woman. I want to be a woman. I am a woman. And more and more people are okay with that. And more and more public schools are pushing that. So that even ungodly men and women who do not fear God are pulling out of public schools because of the radical, aggressive 
transgender movement. What is a woman? Everyone knows. Nobody has to look up in a dictionary. What is a woman? A woman is an adult, female, human being. And everyone knows what a man is. A man is an adult, male, human being. And nobody has to look up the word marriage because everybody knows that a marriage is an exclusive, committed, lifelong relationship between one man and one woman. But even these most basic concepts are being redefined. The foundation of our society is not shaking. It's crumbling to pieces. And tonight we want to open up the unchanging, authoritative, divinely inspired, sacred Scripture to see what the Word of God has to say. And we're not simply opening up the Scripture. We are opening up the beginning of the Scripture. The very beginning in the book of Genesis. It is requisite to understand a thing that you consider the origin of that thing. We need to go back to the beginning, the very beginning, exactly as our Lord did according to His own methodology. When the Pharisees came tempting Him regarding marriage and divorce and remarriage, He said, have you not read? You have the Scriptures. You have the books of Moses. You want to talk to me about marriage and divorce? Let's go back to the very beginning Have ye not read that He which made them in the beginning made them male and female? Matthew 19, verse 4. And then Jesus continues by quoting from the text that we will consider tonight. He went back to the beginning. And that's what we will do tonight. Where God creates the the woman out of the man and brings the woman to Adam in marriage to be His wife. And may God use the preaching of this Word tonight in the name of Jesus Christ to give ongoing strong conviction to everyone here this evening, including especially the young people and the children, so that the foundation of the church does not even begin to shake. God brings the woman to Adam. We take that as our theme and let's consider three things. First of all, the act of God. Second, the response of Adam. And third, the significance for us. The act of God in bringing the woman to Adam consists of three parts. And let's begin, first of all, with God's act in awakening Adam to his need for a woman. Now as we approach the text, we ought to understand something that is not always understood. And that is Genesis 1 verse 1 through Genesis 2 verse 3 describes the creation of the universe in six days and how God rested on the seventh day. When you continue reading in Genesis 2 verse 4 and what follows in the second chapter, it is not a continuation of the chronology. 
We're not now reading about day 8 or 9 or 10 or week 2 or 3 or 4, but the inspired writer in the rest of Genesis 2 is going back into that first week of creation and he will relate to us more distinctly what happened and now particularly say when God made Adam. God made the man Adam on day 6. And now we come to the text, verse 18. Adam was lacking something, but he didn't know it. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. It is not good. It's a very shocking statement. After everything God had made and about which He said, as we read in chapter 1, it is good. And now we come to this point, and God not only thinks, but God says about something, it is not good. And what is not good is that the man should be alone. Adam's aloneness was not good because so long as Adam was alone, he was not suited for the purpose that God had ordained for him. And based on what God would do in making a woman and bringing the woman to Adam, we know that what was not good about Adam's aloneness is that he was incomplete. He couldn't express his social nature as he had been created by God, a human being. God made Adam for fellowship. Not only fellowship with Him as the living God, and that first, and that especially, but God also made Adam for fellowship with others who were like Him. But no matter where Adam went into the whole of the Garden of Eden, he couldn't find anyone. He couldn't find anything that could know Him and relate to Him and understand Him and communicate with Him and socialize with Him in the mutual bonds of love. And so God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. But Adam didn't know that. Adam didn't know he was lacking something. He did not know that something was not good. He had just been created by God. He knew the Lord God Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth and Him. And he delighted in his God, fellowshipping with his God. And everywhere he went in the Garden of Eden, everything he saw, everything he experienced was simply amazing. And so the very first work of God is to wake Adam up to the conscious realization that he's alone, and that it's not good. And that's what God does in verses 19 and 20. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. Just as God would do later by His almighty hand of providence in bringing to Noah at the door of the ark all those animals, so now God brings to Adam as the king of creation all these animals that Adam may name them. 
Now, Adam's task in naming the animals is not to brainstorm and arbitrarily come up with some name for all of these creatures as if Adam looked at what we know as a zebra and said to himself, now let's see, what shall I call this one? A giraffe? Maybe I should call it a kangaroo. No. I'm going to call it a zebra. That's not what Adam did. All of the animals already had a name by virtue of their creation by God. You see in the Bible, a name is revelatory. The name tells you what the thing is. So later, this woman whom God will create, she will be called Eve. Well, of course she's called Eve. How could she be called Mary? How could she be called Salome? She's the mother of all living. Eve means mother of all living. She had to be called Eve. That's what she was, the mother of all living. So each one of these animals, as they were created by God, had a certain nature. And the very nature of that animal was revealed in the name of the animal. And the animal had a name by virtue of its creation by God. Now the thing with Adam is that in his state of original righteousness... Adam had a superior knowledge whereby he was able to look at one of these animals and he could see right into that animal its very nature, the very essence of the thing, and would instantly know its name. So as God brings him all these animals, he's calling out the name that the creature already had by virtue of its creation. And so we read in verse 19, and he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Not this. That became the name thereof. As if it came to Adam with no name. Then Adam named it, and now it walks away with a name. No, it already had a name. Adam is simply calling it out. And therefore, verse 19 says, and whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So here come all these animals, and Adam's calling out the names of these animals, and it probably did not take very long, and Adam, Adam can see. Two. 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 Pear. Pear. Noah saw the same thing when they came to the ark. Pear. Male, female. Male, female. Male, female. And then it dawns on him. I am the only one moving about in this garden who does not have another that is just like me. I'm the only one. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. He didn't have a help that was meet for him. A helper is someone who lives with you and they love you and they care for you and they assist you. And something is meet for you if it lines up with you. It can meet you at your level. It corresponds to you. It fits you. 
It has the same nature as you. It has the same rank as you. It has the same life as you. It has the same spirituality as you. But no matter where Adam went in the garden, he couldn't find anything or anyone anywhere that could communicate with him. There was nothing else made in the image of God as Adam was in the image of God. So that together as kindred spirits, they could walk together in love for Jehovah God. There was no one. Now, there, of course, there were birds. And a very lovely songbird could come and perch itself on a tree branch right above Adam's head and could sing a lovely melody. And that's very nice. And what we know as a dog, some kind of dog-like creature can come up to Adam and rub its coat up against Adam's leg and nuzzle into Adam's bosom and whimper and they could be friends, sort of friends. And that's very nice. But there wasn't anything that could correspond to Adam. Not even the angels, for they are of a different nature. And there certainly wasn't some hominid somewhere, which according to the unbelieving theory of evolution, Adam over millions and billions of years descended from some parent creature. And therefore, right above Adam, there was some hominid from which he came. If that were the case, Adam could go find this other hominid creature and they would have a lot in common. There was not anything anywhere that corresponded to him. And so the very first act of God is to wake him up to this conscious realization that he is alone. And then God's second act was to make a woman. 21 and 22. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. God put him to sleep. Not because God will now play the part of a surgeon and He's about to cut him open and He doesn't want Adam to experience any pain so He just puts him to sleep. Not that. God can take a rib out of Adam without Adam experiencing it. God could take all of Adam's ribs out of Adam without Adam feeling any pain if God wanted to. He puts him to sleep. Because God is about to perform the extraordinary wonder of creation. And when God creates, God will have no human eyewitnesses. He made the whole world. And then He made the man Adam. So that Adam never saw how this world came to be. And now he's about to make the woman, but before he makes this last creature the woman, he will put Adam to sleep so that Adam will not see how this woman came to be. God will not have eyewitnesses. Really the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. If you would think about regeneration, which the Scriptures call a new creation, The canons of Dort call it a new creation and a supernatural work that is not inferior to the creation. Regeneration. That's the very first work of salvation that the Holy Spirit performs in the heart 
of the dead elect sinner. When the Spirit goes into that heart for the very first time, and He makes that heart alive, you don't experience that. You don't know that when that's happening. You don't see that. There are never any witnesses of regeneration. Regeneration always happens underneath the level of our consciousness. You weren't experiencing regeneration when the Spirit regenerated you. You could even have a pregnant woman who has a little baby in her womb and the Spirit can go into that baby already in the womb and make that little baby's heart alive. And that baby doesn't know that. The mother doesn't know that either. She never experiences that. The only way you ever know regeneration is by the fruits thereof. Regeneration is a creation. And there are no, as it were, human eyewitnesses. God will not have eyewitnesses in order to magnify His written Word. You know that sun in the sky right now? Every man knows who made it. Psalm 19 The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. God made that sun. When did God make that sun? How did God make that sun? You have no idea. There is not one scientist who has any idea. There is not one professor of any subject who has any idea. The only way you can know is the Bible. The written Word of God. God will have no human eyewitnesses to magnify His Word. And now because He gives us faith in His Word, we believe what this Word says, and we believe that He put that that man to sleep. And when that man Adam was sleeping, God opened him up, cut open his flesh as it were, and God took one of those ribs out of that man And God made that rib into a woman. So that we read in verse 22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. The original Hebrew is more expressive and says built he a woman. He took that rib and he built. And anybody who's ever built anything knows when you build, you have a plan, you have foresight, you have dimensions, you have craftsmanship, you have care. And that's what God did with that rib. He built a woman. He did not call her out of the dust of the ground which He had done to Adam. That's how Adam has his beginning. If God took the woman and made her by forming her out of the dust of the ground, then as it were, we would have two independent beginnings. Two sources. One is Adam. He comes out of the ground. Another is the woman. She comes out of the ground. But there's only one beginning. There's one source. It's Adam. And then out of Adam comes the woman. And then out of Adam and the woman comes the entire human race. So you can take all human beings and trace them all the way back to one Adam made out of the dust of the ground. So when God made the woman, He took something out of the man, the rib, and He made it into a woman. 
Now, his third act is the climactic work of God in the text, and that is, according to verse 23, that he brought her unto the man. This is the first wedding of human history, and that's very plain from verse 24, which gives to us the institution of the creation ordinance of marriage for all humans. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Therefore, that connecting word doesn't make any sense, unless... What just happened in the preceding context is a marriage between Adam and the woman. Now, therefore, verse 24, and then what follows? This was a marriage, a wedding. It was very, very simple. There were no attendants. There was no officiant, no bridesmaids, no groomsmen, no rings, no dress, no suit, obviously no photography. It was very, very simple. There was a sleeping groom. Out of him, God made a woman, the bride. And then God wakes up the groom and He brings the bride to Him. And that's their marriage. That's their wedding. God brings the woman to the man. And she became His wife. Now, we can understand more of this whole event when we consider Adam's response to it. So let's continue now by looking at Adam's response. First of all, what he said, the content of it. And then secondly, how he said it, his manner of speaking. And before we do that, just take note of this fact that these words spoken by Adam, now as we take a look at verse 23, and Adam said... These are the very first words that Scripture ever gives of a human being speaking. 23. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Obviously, Adam does not know the origin of this woman because he was sleeping. So God had to reveal it. God had to speak His Word to Adam so that he knew. And now Adam says, I'm a man. And this one was taken out of me, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She cannot be anything but woman because she was taken out of me, the man. What is a woman? A woman is a female man. Now understand, when we use the term man, we can have two different ideas. We can say man as in human, or we can say man as in male. What is a woman? A woman is a female man. That is, a female human. A woman is not an animal. And don't treat her like one. A woman is not an angel. And don't have expectations for her as if she were. A woman is not a male. A woman is a human. The female version of the human. Distinct from the male version. Genesis 1 verse 27. There are two two varieties of the human. 1.27 So God created man in His own image 
in the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. Now in the original Hebrew tongue, if you want to take a noun and make it feminine in the grammatical sense, you add the ending ah. And here in the text, we have the Hebrew word for man, which is ish. That's Adam. He is an ish. And we have the Hebrew word for the woman, which is ish, ah. Ish and isha. What is a woman? The female version of the human, the man. That's even captured somewhat in the English, because in the English we have a man, man, and then a woman is a wa-man. She is the female version. But now the glory of the woman as she is built by her Maker God is that she is meat for the man. The woman is at His level. She is of His rank. She has the same spirituality. She's made in the image of God even as the man is made in the image of God. She is also a rational, moral creature. She can think and reason and love. She has the same body as Adam. That is, of the same substance. And she has the same soul as Adam. So that together they can both know God and relate to God and love God. But for all of the similarities between the male and the female, the female is different. She's physically different, biologically different, intellectually different, emotionally different, sexually different. And we don't have time tonight to try to articulate all the differences between the males and the females, but everyone knows males and females are different. And as a woman, now she perfectly corresponds to the man. She balances him out. She makes him complete so that everything that he lacks, he finds in her. God made the two as complements to go together. And they must go together so that God doesn't take Adam out of the dust of the ground and take Eve out of the dust of the ground and then say to Eve that she can go out into the garden and do whatever she wants, do her own thing, live some independent life away from the man. He makes the man. He makes the woman right out of the man. And then He immediately takes the woman and brings her right back to the man to live together in closeness and to stay together. And now in that relationship, He is the head. The head of every woman is the man. And she is the helper. He was made first. He names the creatures. And she is taken out of Him, not the other way around. He will be the head and she will be the helper. And it will be long to her very identity as the woman along with her man that she will be subservient and she will love and help and assist and care for him because God made her a helper who is meat for him. He certainly didn't make another male and bring the male to the male 
So that Adam says, now he is bone of my bones. Homosexuality is a vile perversion. He made a woman. And he brought the woman to the man. Bone of my bones. Flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. What is a woman? The beginning says... The female version of the human who is taken out of the man and brought right back to the man. That's what he said. Verse 23. But now let's consider how Adam said it. It's disguised just a bit. For though the text reads like a bare statement of fact, this is actually a cry of delight in verse 23. That's evident, first of all, from the circumstances in paradise. Adam had a very, very, very busy first day, day six of world history. God makes him. He's living in the Garden of Eden. He had never seen or heard of another human being. It never would have entered his mind that there could be another human being. He's moving around in the garden of Eden, and then God begins to bring to him all these animals. And Adam is calling out the names of all these animals, and he becomes aware of his lack. And then God puts him into this deep sleep, and so he's sleeping, and then God wakes him up and he opens his eyes. Now look at that standing before Adam is. The most magnificent and wonderful thing upon which he had ever laid his eyes. A woman. Look at her. A woman in all of her beauty and glory as created by God. I can imagine that Adam's heart was pounding with excitement. And so when the text says, and Adam said, you could read it this way, and Adam cried with delight, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And you can only wonder what Eve said as they looked at each other for the very first time. And there they were, both naked and not ashamed, and they came together in all the blessedness of their marriage. But there's not only the circumstances there, we have the language of the text, verse 23. Two little words. First we have the little word now. Adam did not say, this is bone of my bones. Adam said, this is now. Bone of my bones. And that little word now can mean now finally. Now at last. And the idea there is not that Adam was being sinfully impatient with God, but it shows just how deep an impression had been made upon Adam's consciousness and probably very, very quickly as God was bringing these animals before him. And it doesn't take very long and Adam recognizes 
He's alone. And He doesn't have one who's like Him like all of the animals do. And the more they come, the beasts of the field and the fowl of the air, pair after pair, two by two, it keeps getting pressed deeper and deeper into the consciousness of Adam. I'm the only one who's alone. And then he goes to God puts him to sleep and he wakes up and opens his eyes and he says this is now now at last now finally bone of my bones flesh of my flesh I have one just like me now but he also says this And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones. Now that might sound rather cold and impersonal, and probably none of us would refer to our wife as a this. 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 Says Adam, this. Because he does not want to use any term that in any way will limit her glory as created by God. He doesn't want to use any term that will call attention only to one aspect of her glorious being. So he says this, this one standing before me now from the crown of her head all the way down to the sole of her foot, all that she is visibly and externally in the body, and all that she is internally in the heart, deep, deep down into the deepest recesses of her heart. This one standing before me now, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So that he cries with delight and excitement. The woman, the woman made from the man, the woman made for the man, the woman made by God brought to the man. And they knew each other and delighted in one another. God brings the woman to the man. Now let's consider the enduring significance of this fascinating history. There's enduring significance with respect to the man, with respect to the woman, and the climax of it all with respect to God. Let's begin with man. The main point of significance for the man tonight is that it is not good for the man to be alone. Of course, there are exceptions, and the exception is by no means inferior. It is God's will that some men be alone and never marry. It is not good for them to be alone in the absolute sense of the word. It is not good for any man to be alone from Jesus. Every man needs Jesus. It is not good for the man to be alone from the body of Jesus. Every man needs the body of Jesus. But it is good for some men to be alone with respect to a woman. 
Take, for example, the Apostle Paul and his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul was alone. Paul was never married. Paul lived the single life. And Paul extols the virtues of the single life for him as a man. In fact, he wishes that other men would be single just like he is and not marry. Because one can more readily devote himself to the Lord and to the kingdom of the Lord, not having concern and care for wife and children. And so Paul was alone. And it was good for Paul and others like Paul to be alone. And you just think of Paul. Think of all his missionary journeys. Think of the thousands and thousands of miles that he traveled in the Mediterranean world and all the dangers he faced. How could he, how could he even do one of those journeys if he had a wife and he had children? It was good to be alone. While there are exceptions, the exception does not silence the rule and the rule of the text And this is confirmed elsewhere in Scripture. I'm not going to take the time tonight to go into the rest of Scripture. The rule is, it's not good for the man to be alone. And that's a word for single young men in the church. Ordinarily, the man without the woman is incomplete. Ordinarily. And the church must say that. It is not good for the man to be alone. Young man of marriageable age and circumstances get married. And if you are too immature, you don't want to be financially responsible. You don't want to be spiritually responsible. You don't want to be a leader. If you're too selfish and too wrapped up in you and your life and all your things, you need to grow up in the Lord Jesus. Pray for a spouse and be observant to God's providential leading and direction. And look. And maybe we could do more to help create opportunities for men and women to get together and to meet. It's not good for the man to be alone. But that's not only true with regard to the single unmarried man. That's true for the husband. Husband, not good for you to be alone. Not good for you to be married legally on paper, but not actually in practice. It's not good for you if you don't consciously feel your need for your wife and desire her and communicate with her and draw close to her. It's not good for you, married man, to be alone from your wife. Always alone from your wife. Alone and with your buddies and the hobbies and books and studies and interests. To be alone from her with your alcohol, that's not good. To be alone, to be alone from her and with another man's wife? Oh, married man, it is not good for you to be alone. And to the husband who doubts whether he ever should have gotten married, 
because his wife makes his life miserable. There's so much power in the cross. So much power. And keep praying and keep speaking in love and strive to reflect the love of Christ and submit yourself to the goodwill of our good God. And to any man who is alone having been married, to any man who is alone having been forsaken by a wife, God sees you with all of His divine compassion. He does. And He's faithful. And to any church that begins to look like the Roman Catholic Church, which throughout history has forced untold numbers of priests into a vow of celibacy, and now reaps all kinds of abominable sexual perversions, God says to the church, it is not good for the men to be alone. It is good. It is good for the man to be married, to have his wife with whom he can live sexually and emotionally, and psychologically, and spiritually, joint heirs of the grace of life, friends together in God's covenant, loving God together, it's good. Good. And if you desire a wife and do not have one, wait, I say, on the Lord. With respect to the woman, we learn that our glorious place in marriage is that of a helper. Now again, not every woman will be married. It is good for some women to be single. And God makes some women single. And they have a very valuable place in the body of Christ. And their place is that of a helper helping the body. Helping the body of Christ. Ordinarily, the woman will be married. And God created her then. He made her. He brought her to the man. And God did not make her to say, I am a man. A male. No, you're not. You're a woman. You're a female. He didn't make her to say, I don't need that man. He didn't make her to be a ruler to rule over her man. To be a boss. To boss around her man. To be an arguer, always arguing with her man. Or a Facebooker or Pinterester to Facebook her man out of her life. And I say that because it wasn't that long ago that a middle-aged man came to me and said, I don't know what to do. My wife will not get off Facebook. What do you mean? Every day, all day long. Morning, noon, and night, even Sunday, and even when sitting next to me in the car, she's on Facebook or Pinterest all the time. So, of course, the question is what are you doing? What are you doing to make her want to be with you? I don't know. Can we talk? Can we play a game? Can we go on a walk? She won't. She will not get off Facebook or Pinterest. Well, God didn't make the woman to Facebook the man into aloneness. God made the woman to be a helper who finds her joy in looking at her man. This is my man. God gave him to me. 
from the crown of His head to the sole of His foot, all that He is visibly and externally in the body, and all that He is spiritually and internally in His heart, all the way down into the deepest recesses of His heart. This is My man. And He's My head. And He's the head of this home. And He has responsibility from God to put bread on this table and to have us have something to give to the poor. And He often has many stresses and many responsibilities on behalf of the Christian school, on behalf of the Christian church. This is My man. And now I say, My man given to Me from God. What can I do? What can I say? Who can I be to make your life more enjoyable? Because God made Me a helper who is meat for you And that's not unnatural. That's not slavery for her. That's her role. That's her glory. That's her honor as a helper who fits the man. And if any woman helper thinks that her place, it's too lowly and it's too shameful. Remember, woman, you are the crowning masterpiece of the entire creation so that before there was a woman, God said it is not good. And after God made the woman a helper for the man, that's when God said, it is good. I'm finished. And then He rested on the seventh day. Finally, in conclusion, and as the glorious climax, now with respect to our God, we learn two very significant things from His names. I will not read the four references, but four times in the text we read, the Lord God. The Lord God. The Lord God. And first of all, that name God reveals in this text all of God's virtues as the Creator. What a glorious Creator. Who can do what God can do? There was nothing. He made the whole universe out of nothing. He made a man by calling him out of the dust of the earth. And then he made a woman by taking a rib. What if I were to give to you a rib? Just one little rib. Could you take that rib and make a thinking, conscious, willing, loving, considerate, meek, rational, moral, spiritual, beautiful human being called a woman? Who can do what our God as Creator can do? Let all things and all creatures everywhere, everything that hath breath, fall down before this glorious Creator and adore Him. Blessed be His name, God. And then second, His name is Lord. All capital letters, that's Jehovah. The God of covenant salvation in Jesus Christ. So that when you read in the New Testament of the name Jesus, that name means Lord, Jehovah, Salvation. So that Lord in the text, Jehovah in the text, is the God of covenant salvation in Jesus. Now isn't that fascinating? There is no salvation yet. There is no sin yet. And yet four times the text tells us that the God who created and who made the woman is the God of salvation. Oh, indeed, it was not good that the man be alone 
Because God's ultimate purpose as the God of covenant salvation cannot be accomplished so long as man remains alone in paradise. God's great plan from all eternity is to make a man and to make a woman. And the two of them together, they will fall into sin. And they will start having children. And pretty soon there will be a human race. The entirety of the human race corrupt and fallen in sin as rebels against God. And the whole of the earth will be populated by human beings. And one day, out of that human race, out of the womb of a virgin, will come a seed. The seed of the woman who is preserved from all of the corruption of that human race. That seed will be God Almighty, the second person, incarnate, as Jesus Christ and He will come and He will suffer and die for the sins of all those people whom God eternally appointed unto everlasting salvation. And one day He will go up into the highest heavens. And then one day He will come back down at the end of history and He will take all His people and He will bring them into the highest heights of heaven for the full perfection and consummation of God's covenant. And all those people will live world without end to the praise of the glorious grace of Jehovah God, the God of the covenant, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now how will that happen? When He's alone. It is not good for the man to be alone. And so the God of covenant salvation makes a woman and begins to fulfill His glorious plan. And God be thanked that He not only brought a woman to the man, He brought a Savior so that Adam was bone of His bones. And Adam was flesh of His flesh. The Savior and me and you. And we all need Him. We've all sinned in our marriages, haven't we? We've all sinned in the single life, haven't we? We all need this Savior. And we need the power of His Spirit as the very foundations of society are crumbling around us. We need the power of His Spirit to stand fast with conviction and to confess the truth of the opening chapters of Genesis. God ever give us the Spirit of Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, for thy word and for all of it, including the very beginning of it, in all of its majesty, we give thee thanks. Press it upon us and in such a way that we glorify thy great name, O Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.